poor Jonathan is not having a good day today. It's just everything that could possibly... Well, not everything. These are all manageable things to overcome. Your fly was down. Just put it back up. It's okay. No one can see, but everyone can hear. <laughs> Assembling furniture. <laughs> Just what I need to do the week I leave for Africa. <laughs> Two days before, I have Jonathan assembling a bed, a new kitchen table, and three chairs. So. <laughs> Not like I should be packing or oh, relaxing. Oh, who cares about packing? We had a busy weekend this weekend. We The Twinnies were flower girls. They did it, it was a huge success. They made it down the aisle in... Amazing fashion. They were just amazing. Amelia was on point. Yes. Through her pedals, walked down the aisle at a normal speed. Olivia was very careful. Very careful. Put each pedal down with distinction. Bam! Here's a pedal. Stand up slowly. Bam! Here's a pedal. Stand up slowly. So slow that the, the little ring bearer, Emerson, her cousin, had to push her down the aisle, and she wasn't too into that either. But we bribed them with copious amounts of jelly beans. They smiled for every picture. They were nice to everyone. So welcome to another episode <laughs> of Gem Junkies. Yes, so we're here, Gem Junkies. This is going to be our last episode. We're going to take a two-week break. So it's not our last episode of anything. Well, no. Don't say we're last. pausing. We're pausing. For two weeks. For two weeks while we're in Africa. But we'll keep you updated on our trip in Africa via Facebook, Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. So you can kind of see what we're doing. We're super excited. We get to visit some really cool mines. Yeah. Mines that people haven't been into for a while. Yeah. So we're going to the Marilani Mint Mines, which just had some structural redoing and will be the first guests in. So that's kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Some Tanzanite Mines, Gracia Garnet Mines. Super excited. So. And then we get to go visit the schools that we donate to. Yep. And then we get to go hang out with animals. Yeah. In a tent. In the safari. Oh, safari. In the Serengeti. <laughs> All right. So, pearls. Last week you teased us with a giant pearl. The world's largest pearl. The world's largest pearl. Let's talk about it, boo. It was first discovered in 2006. Yep. In the Philippines. Mm-hmm. How big is it? 34 kilograms. Which is times 2.2 pounds. 2.2 pounds. So that would be like, what, 75, 80 pounds? That's a lot of pearl. That's, That's a, a lot, lot of, pearl. of pearl. What are you going to do with that? Sit it on a shelf. Put it, up, it. put it under your bed. <laughs> That's what the fisherman that found it was, uh, put it under his bed and uh, thought that it was lucky and it was... It's uh, now on display, and it is now, it is estimated that the value is somewhere around a hundred million dollars. That's what they're saying. Well, I think that's cuckoo nuts. Yeah, that's probably cuckoo nuts. So I think it comes from one of those giant clams in um, the Philippines. 
Yeah. And so did you know that any mollusk can make a pearl? Even a snail? Hmm. Even a snail can make a pearl, but they're not considered precious pearls. Precious pearls have to have maker or that mother of pearl coating. Like according to who? According to the US government. The US government, okay. <laughs> yeah, it has to have to have a precious pearl designation, it has to have that maker on it. Otherwise, it is just a calcium carbonate concretion. But they can get massive, like this 80-some pound pearl from the Philippines. That really would look good on my, in my office. On, on your mantle. On my mantle. mantle. <laughs> like I just sit by it and pet it. I, oh, I bet it's so heavy. You could lay on it when you're hot, Jonathan, just like... Yeah, it'd be like cooling, it like would. a cooling pillow. It so would. It's not very soft. So I have a fun story too about a pearl. Okay. A famous pearl from history. This thing makes a, the story. The story comes full circle with this pearl. Okay, I'm, he's like, get on with it, girl. Okay, so the pearl's name is La Peregrina, and it. It means it's a Spanish word for the pilgrim or the wanderer, and it remains one of the largest perfectly symmetrical pear-shaped pearls in the world, and it's a natural pearl. It was first found off in the in the Gulf of Panama by an African slave, and it was when Panama was a Spanish colony, so it was given to the governor of the area. And the slave was granted his freedom. The pearl was taken over to Spain and given to Philip II of Spain, who was engaged to marry Tudor, who happens to be King Henry VIII's oldest daughter. You know, Bloody Mary, the crazy one that right. came before Elizabeth. Crazy. She loved this thing. She wore it all the time. All of her portraits have her wearing it. She wore it as a pendant from a brooch, so basically a pearl dangle from a brooch. After she passed away, it went back to the Spanish crown jewels. Spanish queens loved it. They wore it all of the time. And then comes this guy named Napoleon, Napoleon Bonaparte. So he lets his older brother, he installed his older brother as king of Spain in 1808. So that's how Bonaparte's get a hold of this pearl. Uh, when his brother was forced to leave Spain after the French forces were defeated at the Battle of Victoria, he took it for himself. And he passed it on to his nephew, the future Napoleon III of France. Now, while he was in exile, he sold it to James Hamilton, uh, the Duke of Agricultural. And they loved it, set it in a necklace, wife Louisa lost it twice. Once on a sofa in Windsor Castle, and the second at a ball at Buckingham Palace. But they recovered it both times. They eventually sold it at auction, Sotheby's auction, in 1969 to a man named Richard Burton, who happens to be an actor that was married to Elizabeth Taylor. That is how Liz Taylor gets her hand on this pearl, and she loves this pearl. This is one of her most favorite pieces of jewelry. One, because of the history of the pearl, 
500 years old, all that good stuff. She loves it so much that she wore it in an uncredited appearance in the 1969 Anne of a Thousand Days. Who do you think that film was about? Anne Boleyn. The gal that kicked the original owner's mother out of the clean spot. Catherine, you know that? That's pretty cool. Full circle. Anyway, Liz Taylor, <laughs> Liz Taylor loses the pearl one night. You know where she finds it? One of her puppies is chewing on it. Yeah. Lost it. One of the dogs. She's like, why is the dog chewing on a bone? Who would give the puppy a bone? Oh, it's my pearl. Luckily, it wasn't damaged. They later go on to have it set by Cartier with more pearls, diamonds, and rubies. And it sells in her estate at auction, at a Christie's auction, for $11 million. Wow. Yeah. So one of the most famous pearls in the world, owned by one of our favorite jewelry-loving women, Elizabeth Taylor. Who bought it? We don't know. Private. Private. Someone's got it. So why is that pearl so special? Because it's big. Because it's big. So there are seven factors that go into, I guess, attributing value to a pearl. Right. Number one is size. Number one is size. So you have size, shape, color, luster, surface quality, maker quality, and matching, if they match in like a strand. So we'll kind of go through all the different factors and kind of why they're important to the value of pearls. So size, that's kind of a no-brainer. The bigger it is, the rarer it is. Right. And the more valuable it is. And then for shape, it's all about round. Yes. So... um, The most valuable would be perfect, perfectly round. Yes. Um, Perfectly round, which is super, super rare, or near round, or there is, which is round to the eye. Um, Then there's symmetrical. So the shape would look the same if you divide it in half. So you can have oval-shaped pearls, you can have button pearls, you can have teardrop pearls. Right. And so those, those are all very pretty. And my favorite, though, is the Baroque pearl. Right. As far as shape is concerned. Even though it's the least valuable, because it has an irregular shape. But it's um, interesting. But it's interesting to look at, I right. think. You can also have what they call fancy shapes. Pearls that are shaped like bars, coins. They even have cross pearls. Crazy, huh? We bought a pearl company, what, probably maybe like 12 years ago? Yeah. Was it before we got married? Yeah. yeah. So 12 years ago or so. Yeah. And we bought it from a good friend of ours, Queenie. Mm-hmm. And she has kind of a crazy story. The One of the largest especially Tahitian and South Sea pearl suppliers in Hong Kong, Mm -hmm. their daughter came to school at Idaho State University because they have family. Bangles? Bangles. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. I got it. (laughs) And their daughter came to school here because they have relatives here that own Chinese restaurants. Yep. ISU is in Pukki. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so Queenie was roommates with her and the two of them hit it off. And so Queenie started a portal company. Then she had kids and decided she didn't want to be on the road and just wanted a regular nine to five job. Mm -hmm. So we hired her for a nine to five job in exchange for her pearl company. Her pearl company. Yeah. So we got into pearls for a little while and one of our, one of our best selling, I would say, pearl, Tahitian pearl, is called a circle pearl, mm-hmm. which is also kind of a different shaped pearl. Uh, it means there's one or more grooved ridges that kind of goes all away, all the way around the pearl. And so when you describe a circle pearl, it's either like a circled oval pearl or a circled drop pearl or a circled round pearl. So it just kind of also adds to the shape and overall dimension of the pearl. Yeah. And I have a double-stranded Tahitian circle pearls that I think are beautiful. Yeah, they're fun. They it's are fun. They add something. They're, they're, you know, not the top, top quality, but they're kind of a fun fashion fashion piece to have. Now, like we said earlier, round is the most difficult to culture. So nowadays, it is hands down the most valuable. But historically, the most valuable pearls have been drop-shaped pearls, like the La Peregrina that I told the story about. Hmm. A drop-shaped pearl. Because they're more common? I don't... I wonder if it has something to do with the fact that they're natural pearls. Hmm. And, uh... Natural pearls just don't come. And maybe they can get to a larger size in a drop shape than they can in a round. Hmm. That's kind of my two cents on that. All right, so next value factor is color. Right. And so we know that the components of color are hue, which is just the basic color of the peach piece, tone, which is the darkness or lightness, and saturation, which is the hue strength. And pearls come in a wide range of hues. They have cool tones, warm tones, a wide range of... Um, tone. Tone, which I just said, light or dark. Right. <laughs> and, but they often are very... Low in Low saturation. saturation. Yeah, very muted colors, not very vibrant or bright colors. Um, yeah, typically when you see the bright colors, they're typically dyed, which we'll get into later. Yeah, so nacre also can affect the body color of a pearl. So it's translucent, but it reflects and reflect, refracts light, so it can give you complex optical effects. And so really... Pearls, all pearls have a body color. Okay. But only some pearls have overtone and orient. Ah, okay. The very best pearls. The very best pearls. So overtone is caused by diffraction of light around the edges of the nacre crystals, and orient occurs when the pearl surface breaks light into spectral colors. And that's what gives you the rainbow, kind of like how opal breaks light into spectral colors, and that's what gives you the play of color. Right. Now, overtone, that rosé overtone, it can affect value in both ways. So, rosé overtone on Akoya pearls will increase their value. Okay. But a green overtone on Akoya pearls will decrease its their value. value. Yeah. Because um, then they look sickly. Yeah. And so, my favorite overtone, a rosé or a purple overtone on a dark gray-green or gray-blue Tahitian pearl gives you peacock. Mm-hmm. which is among the most highly valued and prized pearls in the world. 
The peacock Tahitian pearl. The peacock Tahitian. So Orient increases the value of a pearl, one, because it's beautiful, two, because it indicates thick and high-quality nacre, and three, because it's rare and desirable. There you go. Now the next factor would be luster. Luster. So you've got four different classifications of luster. Excellent, good, fair, poor. Excellent means bright, sharp reflections. Good means bright but not sharp, maybe hazy edges. Fair, weak, hazy, or blurred reflections. Poor, reflection is dim or diffused. So it's not mirror-like. Like in a koya, they really like that mirror-like luster on the pearl. Higher luster, higher value. So pearls produce a higher quality. You get a higher quality pearl when the environments are free of stress and pollution. And when those environments are free of stress or pollution, like there's not drastic temperature changes in the water, uh, pollutants is obvious, there's not pollutants in the water. And when you, you have pearls in highly contained and controlled environments, you often get better luster, better quality pearls. Next on the seven value factors list would be surface quality. Right, and surface quality has to do with if they had little dots or blemishes mm-hmm. or indentations or anything like that. The less of those that they have, the higher the value. Yeah, so spotless pearls are rare. Um, a lot of times they hide imperfections in pearls with a drill hole. Right, so if it just has one blemish in it, then that's the spot where you drill it for either half or a hole. Yeah, so like if it has a flat spot on one side... You can often put the drill hole right in the middle of the flat spot. Nobody's going to notice if you mount it in a ring or a pendant or anything like that. Right. Uh, Then the next factor would be nacre quality. So is it thick? Is it translucent? Are the layers uniform? Are the layers aligned? So as far as nacre thickness, if it's thick but it's not translucent, it will lack, it will lack luster, but it will be durable. If it's too thin, it won't be durable. So you need to have nacre that's thick and translucent because the more translucent it is, the better light penetration. One thing I thought was super interesting is that cultured pearls that are formed in cool water have slow nacre deposits which means they're more translucent. Hmm. And so you have higher luster like Akoya pearls. That's where you get your mirror-like finish. Now, if you have a cultured pearl that's formed in warm water, it has a quicker nacre deposit, and it gives you a satin luster like your South Sea pearls. Interesting. So all based on water temperature. It's all based on water temperature. And I'm sure the pearl industry is super concerned about warming sea temperature waters because I think that could greatly affect the quality of pearls. I mean, especially Akoya pearls uh, where they need that cool water to get that mirror-like surface. (laughs) So uh, layer uniformity and alignment. You want perfect alignment. Basically all the nacre layers stacked right on top of each other. Um, And you want you want it to Basically, the nacre needs to coat the pearl like a coat of paint. 
So you coat, you coat the outside of the pearl, and then you coat the outside of the pearl, and then you coat the outside of the pearl. If you, if it grows abnormally, you're going to have light that diffuses and doesn't return to the eye hmm. as beautifully. Perfect painting. Like a perfect painting. There's a lot of factors that go into pearls. Yeah, pearls are kind of complicated. Pearls, pearls are, they're complicated, but they're not. It's like, is it pretty? Yeah. Do you like it? I think because I, <laughs> I think a lot of these you can just see with the naked eye. Like even if you don't know exactly what you're looking at, you don't know these exact, you know, good, better, best, and you don't know all these exact terms. Yeah. I think you just look at them and say, yeah, these are beautiful pearls. Or no, they're not. Just from. Yeah. Without really knowing what you're looking at. So one thing about nacre is that sometimes it can have a chalky appearance. And and you can you can really see that. It doesn't it doesn't have any it doesn't have any brightness or luster or any return light return to your eye. No life. And some research some researchers speculate that chalk is too much calcium carbonate as calcite and not enough as the crystallized version. And so that's what kind of dulls the maker. And then the, so the last value factor is matching. Right. And I think this, I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder at the end of the day. Because some designers. Some mismatch. Mismatch on purpose. Right. But the one thing that you have to, you do have to consider if you have a perfectly matched strand of round Akoya pearls that all look identical. Matching requires a lot of pearls. A lot of pearls. You have to sort through a lot of pearls to build that perfect strand. It requires a lot of time, labor, and it requires skill. Yeah. And so what they do is they start by sorting it into sizes and then into qualities, and they go from there to build the perfect strand. And... And building that perfect strand, you have to look back and incorporate all the other value factors. They all have to match. They all have to have the same size, same shape, same color, same luster, same surface quality, same nacre quality in order to build that perfect strand. It's a lot of factors. There's a lot of factors that go into matching pearls. First strand. Per, first strand. Now, that doesn't mean that you might like a strand of perfectly matched koyas more than a strand of Tahitian pearls that are circle pearls. Yeah. So, beauty's in the eye of the beholder with a pearl. And there's a pearl for every budget now. I mean, really, Very true. Pearl for every budget. So that's kind of value factors of pearls or how we in the industry determine what a pearl is worth. Um, there are some, some treatments that we should probably talk about. Yeah. Which treatments, for sure, the most common would be dyeing. Yeah. So they use organic and inorganic dyes to make pinks, blues, golds, greens, any color you can think of. Mostly with fresh water. Mostly, but sometimes with the koya. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Do De- all the above. Depending. Um, to make black pearls, I always thought this was super interesting. They use silver nitrate. Do you know what silver nitrate is? No. It is the same thing that's used to develop photofilm. Hmm. So when you expose it to light, it turns the pearl black. Crazy, huh? Or you can expose it to light or hydrogen sulfide gas, and it'll turn the pearl black. Now, I you can detect dyeing pretty easily. It kind of has a, I wouldn't say 
fake color, but definitely an unnatural color. Right. Um, and that you can tell just by looking at it. But you can also tell because a lot of times there's a concentration of dye around the drill hole. So if that drill hole is is visible, like in a strand of pearls, you can see a concentration of dye where it'll look a little darker around that drill hole. And that's how you can determine if that strand has been dyed. One thing they also do, which I and I'm kind of like, why? Is they expose it to gamma rays. They can expose uh, freshwater and saltwater pearls to gamma rays to darken them, to make them blue or black. Hmm. What it does, though, it's really interesting. It's different for freshwater or saltwater pearls. So when freshwater pearls are exposed to gamma rays, it darkens the nacre, which usually gives it a very unnatural metallic kind of sheen, but it also gives it a really strong orient, which is that rainbow effect yeah. on the outside of the pearl. In salt water, what it does is it actually darkens the bead nucleus of the pearl. It doesn't darken the nacre. Oh. Crazy, huh? Yeah. So it gives the appearance of a gray-blue body color, but it's not stable. It'll fade hmm. in both. So what's the point? Kind of my what opinion. What if you die? I mean, they're exposed to really high energy x-rays, and they say that most of them are not radioactive. <laughs> but, you know, you know, why? Yeah. If they're just going to fade, then why not just dye them? Yeah. All right, one of my favorite, favorite treatments, and I, I just think this is so ingenious, is coating pearls. Okay. Do you know why? I remember when we were at GA, when I learned this, I went, what? That's crazy. That's so smart. They take fish scales, because fish scales kind of have that kind of metallic or rainbow effect to them, crush them up, coat the outside of the pearl with the fish scales and epoxy to make it look shiny. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I, you don't see that very often, but it can be done. Sounds like a lot of work. A lot of times they'll coat them with lacquer or plastic or silicone, and that's usually to protect a very thin nacre. Hmm. Yeah. It enhances, it enhances the appearance also. All right, last but not least on our pearl journey is how do you take care of your pearls? Last on. Yep, like your grandma always said. Last on, first off. So it's the last thing that you put on because you don't want to get hairspray or lotion or anything like that. Perfume. Yep. All that stuff is very hard on pearls and pearls are very soft. Yeah. So and so basically any detergent or chemical can dull the nacre. So if you're putting your pearls on and then spraying yourself down with perfume, the acid in that perfume is going to dull the nacre of your pearls. So please don't do that. Make sure it's the last thing that you put on. Also, they suggest as soon as you remove your pearls, just wiping it, wiping them down with a soft cloth just to kind of remove any oils or anything that you might have gotten on them while wearing them. Don't ever put them in an ultrasonic cleaner. No. 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 And like Jonathan was saying, they are really soft. So rings, be careful with. You can damage. And a lot of them are set with just a post. Right, and, and they're glued in. And they're glued in. So, so heat and moisture is going to make the glue separate and then also not real good on the pearls. Not real good on the pearl. Um, we suggest pearls in earrings, pendants, 
necklaces. But Savannah wears a pearl as her wedding ring. Yeah. And it's holding in there. <laughs> hanging in there. It's hanging in there. Uh, one thing, too, that's highly suggested that is that if you do have a strand of pearls, when they're strung, make sure there are knots between each pearl. Right, so they don't rub. So they don't rub against each other, which will, again, damage the nature of the pearl. Pearls. Pearls. We're done. Oh, I did want to make a quick note. Um, we had a super fun week this week. We heard from a lot of our listeners, which is super, Thank you very yeah, much. Thank you very much. It is really fun. We did have a comment from Nicole. She's in Canada. Hi, Nicole. She wanted um, us just to make sure that we mentioned, because uh, she said it was a little confusing in our first podcast, our first pro podcast that Mikimoto is Japanese and he, and she gave us some information that I didn't even know when Mikimoto passed away he gave his top secret formula for culturing pearls to the to Japanese Japan. government which I think was super cool and I didn't know that so thank you so much Nicole for for letting us know and again if you have any questions or comments let us know. You can reach us at Parlay Gems on Instagram. You can just DM us. Uh, or you can email us at gemjunkies at parlaygems.com. Yeah, gemjunkies at parlaygems.com. Isn't that what I said? Yeah, you said at, at. There's like a, oh, the oh. at gets confusing. The at does get confusing. Yeah. All right, anyway, check us out on Instagram, Facebook. You can email us. Jonathan and I are off to Africa. And we will we'll see you or we'll talk to you. We'll be back in three weeks with a new episode. So stay tuned and bye guys. Bye bye.